Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're not suggesting we reinvent the wheel, just realign it. The insurance industry has an identity crisis, apparently. So our journalists are working tirelessly to bring you the facts. Retired ASIC chairman James Shipton has been telling the Australian Financial Review how the corporate regulator should operate. He should have spoken to us first. And to finish on this excellent wheel intro theme, we can't steer clear of the latest impact cyclone Gabrielle in New Zealand is having. Hello, everyone. I'm joined by the dulcet tones of senior journalist Miranda Maxwell, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Hello, Terry. Good morning. Was the spoke pun too subtle? Is that even possible with me? No, no, no. I let it, I let it go, Andrew. Uh, I think your your morning intros certainly liven us up a little. <laughs> Hello, Miranda. Good morning, Andrew. You've had a busy week. I have. I've been to Sydney and back. Beautiful weather. I was able to enjoy. Excellent. Excellent. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Are these my most dreadful puns ever? I think they might be getting close. <laughs> well... <laughs> Next week, we've uh, already discussed how I'm going to change my intro. Chat GPT is going to write it for me. We'll see how that ends up. Good morning, John. Hello. All's wheel that ends wheel, hey? Yeah, I, I can't think of a punny comeback. So I've used them all. I've used them all. Well, on to more serious matters. Miranda, apparently the insurance industry has an identity crisis and needs to do much more than just pay claims. What's this about? Well. Yes, this comes from a global survey of 30,000 consumers, which was carried out by Bain and Company. It found the traditional idea of insurance, which is basically, you know, you just provide capital, cover risk, and then reimburse the claims, just doesn't fully satisfy anymore. So Bain says over the next decade, insurers are going to really have to redefine their role. Lots of things have changed the risk landscape for all the areas that insurance dominates, your home, your car, your health, your financial well-being. And Bain says consumers want insurers to be providers of risk mitigation, not just loss reimbursement. They're saying all the extreme weather we've had and COVID, the aging population, the technical disruption has left people really looking for solutions to help them reduce their risk. And so insurers have this chance to take a firm hand in providing that service. To quote from the report, Bain says, the insurance sector is set for a collective shift in the industry's central purpose over the next decade. It's not entirely new. The report notes insurance in the past has advocated for seatbelts in cars and safety standards in house construction. But basically, Bain says, while it's tough, insurers are going to need new skills to promote advice and service rather than just product. Are they for wheel, Terry? I mean, it feels like the industry in talking about doing more for their clients for a while. Yeah, and they have. I found this this report a little sort of, uh, I don't know, running in different directions at once. I think the industry's moved through a lot of changes over the years and it's still changing. I don't know how much more you can do in driving governments to to adopt mitigation projects than than we have with with this industry. I notice Bain acknowledges that the local industry's drive to build programs that provide extra services to personal lines customers. But how successful they are or how much customer centricity has become a core part of those operations, I really don't know. 
I think we've seen the commoditization of personal lines insurance to the point that it bears little relationship to the commercial side. I was at the underwriting agency's Council Expo in Sydney last week, and as one senior broker said to me, the, the big insurance company boards can understand personal lines, but it's much harder to understand and deal with commercial insurance. So we're starting to see a sort of split in the industry and the way we deal with things. Yes, the industry could lead more, but I really don't see that it can do much more to be as customer-centric as it is already. Well, Wendy, we've been hearing a lot about the terrible impact of Cyclone Gabrielle in New Zealand, but you've been writing about the potential threat of future cyclones to southeast Queensland. Yes, there's, there's been some recent research on this, and it's often forgotten that tropical cyclones can hit southeast Queensland. And there's one in 1954 that made landfall over the Gold Coast. Um, and of course, the population of that region has really boomed. And with climate change, there's concern over what impact that will have on cyclones. And there's a view that they'll be uh, less frequent, but more intense in the Queensland region. And, you know, we don't really know what impacts they're going to be on how they're going to track. But um, this study on severe wind hazards for southeast Queensland was uh, released by Geoscience Australia, and it looks at the type of housing stock and how vulnerable that might be, and includes a number of scenarios on where cyclones of Category 2 or 3 strength might cross the coastline. And one of those, in looking at that area from Noosa down to the Gold Coast, you could have more than 300,000 properties moderately or extensively damaged. The report really does highlight the risks there and and, and the work that's needed to, to build resilience, I guess. More intense cyclones hitting southeast Queensland. This sounds like a recipe for disaster, Terry. You better sell your houses up there. (laughs) Uh, If only. Yeah, look, a cyclone and a big one could hit Sydney or or the the south coast uh, of New South Wales in any cyclone season. And I think we've run quite a few articles on that over the years. Warmer waters in the south are helping to make it more possible. But then we have an enormous land mass where where a cyclone can cross if it's coming from the north. So it's still a game of chance. Uh, Sydney and northern New South Wales have been hit before. Uh, Cyclone Nancy in 1990, Cyclone Oswald in 2013, which isn't all that long ago, both caused a lot of damage in New South Wales, certainly Oswald uh, around Sydney too. But Really, it's it's a, a game of chance. If you look at the New Zealand example, where they've been, you know, ripped apart rather badly by uh, a storm, the famous Wahini storm in New Zealand in, in April 1968 was caused by Cyclone Giselle coming south. That's a long way south, and meeting a storm coming up from Antarctica. And meeting right over Wellington, which is on much the same latitude as Hobart. So, yes, cyclones can move south if the circumstances allow it to happen. Well, John, as I mentioned, former ASIC chairman James Shipton has been telling the Fin Review how the corporate regulator should operate and mentioned the insurance industry. Yes, that's right. Readers will will remember that James Shipton left ASIC in 2021 shortly after being cleared of any misconduct in relation to some relocation expenses of $120,000 or so. But he's back with some views in an exclusive piece for the Australian Financial Review. And he talks about all the problems that there are with with ASIC. And and according to him, there are many. Most importantly, it's underfunded and too stretched. So 
is asked to do too much with too little, basically. But without going through all his uh, possible solutions, there there was one particular item. He, he, he started to suggest that a specialist standalone superannuation regulator would be a good idea because currently that regulation is shared between ASIC and APRA. Instead, there could be a single regulator that looks at both, he said. And then he said that that same principle could apply to insurance. So a standalone regulator along these lines could also be considered for insurance, he said. So yeah, very interesting, I, I guess. I mean, he's he's got good insight into into the corporate regulator and, and I guess what needs to happen with it. What do you think, Terry? Would this be an improvement? Yeah. As the French say, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Before ASIC and APRA, we actually had a Federal Insurance and Superannuation Commissioner, who Richard Beetham, a delightful bloke, and then George Pooley. And that was linked with the Australian Securities Commission, which became ASIC in 1991. And then we had the Waller's Inquiry of 96 that examined the structure of everything in financial services with ASIC. And then that resulted in Australia adopting this, the so-called Twin Peaks model of regulation with ASIC playing the corporate cop. Is <laughs> still with me? On the financial side, APRA was formed in 1998 to provide oversight into the, the industries or all financial services practices and stability, which didn't prevent HIH falling over in 2001, but that's another story. So I don't think anyone's going to start moving back to a standalone insurance commissioner, and I don't think we'd want one. It'd lead just to internal competition with all the other commissioners and the Canberra bureaucracy. So no thanks. Sorry, James. Well, I think I'd prefer to stick with ASIC. Well, get out the abacus, Wendy. We've had IAG and some courts results, and now it's QBE's turn. How did they fare? Well, the this, this story was pretty similar for QBE, you know, with strong premium increases. Well, at the same time, they're seeing the repercussions from more natural catastrophes and the flow on effects uh, from that on reinsurance. So, um, they also raised their natural perils allowance to um, US 1.175 billion for this year from 962 million last year. Um, but then, as I say, we've got these premium increases flowing through. So, Australia Pacific GWP rose 9%, with premium rate rises averaging 9.5%. And I guess a, a positive for QBE too from this result was also that the North American business, which has, you know, had some problems over recent years, uh, was profitable last year. QBE has more of a commercial insurance focus, and, you know, they're not as uh, big in motor here. So, they weren't as affected by some of the problems others have seen in, in that area in the second half of last year. So um, overall, I mean, uh, I think uh, they seem to be fairly uh, pleased that they're on the right track, I guess, and, and getting some momentum. Well, the listed insurance broking houses will also report this week, but the indications are they're going pretty well. Yeah, both Steadfast and AUB have bumped up their guidance for the full year, taking account of how their businesses have performed in the December half and with indications from the current period. So um, Steadfast says it reflects premium rate rises after recent catastrophes along with volume growth. While in the case of AUB, they also talk about robust trading and they also have an added contribution from the UK Tizers business. So they bought that last year and they say it's been performing ahead of expectations since it became part of the group at the start of October. 
Well, John, in other news, our reports on the AFCA rulings are still hugely popular. Talk us through some of the best articles we've run recently. Yeah, we've had a few good ones. So in yesterday's newsletter, there was a, an interesting life insurance one. So um, this was where a cold calling company rang up a, a pensioner and told him that he'd he'd won a special competition, he'd won a prize, and that was 12 months free uh, funeral cover. Uh, this wasn't true. He hadn't entered or won any competition. It was just a sales tactic. And uh, the company behind this call was actually flagged in the Royal Commission, the Hain Royal Commission back in 2018, and it's no longer operating. So I guess we should be reassured by that. But the slightly worrying thing is that there was a remediation program run by the insurer to look at these cases. And this pensioner was told basically he didn't have a case and that he wouldn't get any refund. So then he went to AFCA and AFCA decided that, you know, this competition line just wasn't true and that he did deserve a refund. So yeah, that that was a an interesting look back at some conduct, which since the Royal Commission, thankfully, doesn't go on anymore. Another one we had related to an issue that comes up a lot, which is somebody having a car accident and then realizing that they don't have a policy in place because they forgot to pay the premium. Now, when insurers cancel a policy due to the non-payment of premium, they have to go through a number of hoops. They have to send renewal notices. They have to send notice that they're going to cancel a policy. Now, this particular person said, well, it's not my fault. That email went into my junk folder, which I'm sure we've all had happen to us from time to time. But AFCA says, no, that's no excuse, unfortunately. The, all the insurer has to do is prove that it has sent those notices. It doesn't have to make sure that you actually read them. And, and how could it, really? So check your junk folder regularly, I guess, is the message there. One more to look at. And, and this one I thought was particularly interesting. It's another common issue where an insured fails on the duty of disclosure or, or making a misrepresentation. So this particular example was to do with home insurance and the, and the claimant hadn't properly disclosed his claims history. So when he came to make a claim, the insurer said, no, I'm sorry, we've looked into this and you had seven previous claims, which you hadn't declared, so we're not going to pay. The problem was what insurers also need to do is show when there has been a misrepresentation that they would not have offered cover if they'd known the truth. And the way they do that is often by presenting their underwriting guidance or guidelines. So they can say, well, look, if we'd known about these claims, we blatantly wouldn't have insured this person. Now, this particular AFCA ruling, AFCA actually found an example where the insurer hadn't followed its own guidelines. And therefore it said, how can we trust what you're saying? Because you don't always follow your guidelines. Therefore, this claim does have to be paid even though the insured may, did make a misrepresentation. So I thought that was really interesting. And it just shows that insurers really have to follow those guidelines rigidly. Otherwise, they're almost useless. Yeah, <laughs> that is useless advice. <laughs> Honestly, there has to be, there always has to be a bit of flexibility in the world. Yeah. Was it, wasn't one of the things the brokers were complaining about is that insurers are following their guidelines too tightly? <laughs> Well, finally, Miranda, as you mentioned, you were in Sydney last week gallivanting around for the InsureTech Australia conference. What were the highlights other than the uh, the drinks and the food? 
Oh, the drinks and the food were great. I did have maybe one or two too many champagnes. Um, Yeah, this was hosted in The Rocks in Sydney on Wednesday. It was very busy. Everyone was in full swing. They had a lot of people fly in from all over, which was great. Uh, There were lots of panel discussions and expert sessions, lots of talk about cyber, of course, and new technologies like geospatial data, which is expected to make a big change in how insurance claims are handled. There was a lot of focus on funding, which is a lot tougher right now. Uh, The pressure's really on now to prove profitability and not just growth. The uh, keynote speaker was Sam White. She heads up Stellar Insurance and she flew in from the UK. She was really entertaining. She's had a lot of success with her offer for women, unapologetically for women, she says. And she gave a lot of detail about how and why she founded the business and she had struggled to get funding herself, was hitting brick walls and really wanted to create change. Uh, she also showed us a fantastic picture of a house she rented in LA called The Boathouse, which I recommend Googling. It looks like a mega yacht made out of concrete. And also that she managed to convince Robbie Williams, who grew up quite near her in the UK, to sing at her wedding. So She was very entertaining and and it was just a great day and great to sort of mingle and see everyone there and enthusiastic about technology and insurance. Thanks. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thanks once again to our panel, John Deeks, Miranda Maxwell, Wendy Pugh and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. I'm going to go and look in my spam folder immediately, and we look forward to catching up again next week.